This is the Whirly Bear Productions podcast. I'm your host, Amber Williams. I discuss film finance and distribution with filmmakers and entertainment lawyers. In this episode, I sat down with Faro Abishwishwa, a London-based BAFTA-nominated producer, owner of Rockcliffe Productions and creator of the BAFTA Rockcliffe New Writing Competition and Showcase for Emerging Talent. She was a Screen International Star of Tomorrow and was named an American Academy Gold Fellowship for Women finalist in 2021. She has made comedy content used by The White House, the Netflix original Irreplaceable You, and her short film The Party was an Irish Film Board commission to celebrate the centenary of the 1916 Easter Rising. This film won her BAFTA nomination. She has also been nominated for a European Film Award and the champion for new screen talent. She has lectured in Dubai, Dublin, Libya, London, San Diego, New York and Johannesburg. Farah's television credits include The Singapore Grip, The ABC Murders and the four-part ITV drama No Return. Her most recent work is her forthcoming feature film Woken. Farah has written two books, Rockcliffe Notes, a professional approach for screenwriters and writer-directors and Rockcliffe Notes, a guide to low-budget filmmaking which you can find links to in the show notes. Farah, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for coming on. Hello. Thank you. <laughs> so can you tell us a bit about your new film, Woken? Uh, yeah, so Woken is um, a film that's written and directed by Alan Friel, who I made a short film called Cake With. And Alan and I have been longtime collaborators. <clears throat> it was actually a film that um, Fantastic Films in Ireland um, set up and got the funding for it. and they brought me in to kind of work with Alan on a kind of as the producer that he could talk to and because of our long-standing relationship so it was very much a kind of creative co-producer role with him um, and actually it was it was a joy because I didn't have to worry about kind of the financing the, the um, completion but similarly for those producers as well you know, the first week of shooting, Alan got COVID, the line producer got COVID. So I was able to go down to the set and be there as they were doing sort of all, all the funding and the completion and getting that sorted. But it's been a, a real joy to work with him and them and the Italian co-producers as well. So it's a kind of grounded sci-fi. Um, Alan's a very versatile writer director and that's what I love about him. Um, it's kind of set in a remote um, kind of island and um, a young woman, she wakes up pregnant and there's no, she's had an accident and there's no memory of her past. And it stars Erin Kellyman, Maxine Peake, who we collaborated with on Cake, um, and Peter MacDonald, who I also kind of went to sort of school with. He was in, in, the, in a boys' school that kind of collaborated with my girls' schools, but he, he still remembered me from back then, which was quite funny. <laughs> as, as things nice. yeah so yeah so that was that was a real sort of joy uh filming in the west of Ireland in an area that I used to go to uh for my summer holidays that we filmed in uh, a friend's house my mom's friend's house which was it was like going back like going back sort of 35 years and nothing had changed when's it being released because it's still in post-production is that right literally just delivered it so Bankside are handling its kind of release so it'll probably look for its festival and then um we literally are just still just signing off in the final sort of grade and stuff but it is pretty much there so Bankside will be handling our sales company will be handling its release and where it goes to and 
out into the world. We're all can't we all can't wait. It's like very exciting times. And so how did the partnership with Bankside come about? Did they approach you? How does it how did it work with Bankside? I'm I'm good, you know, I'm good friends with Stephen Kelleher and Sophie Green and have been for many, many years. Um, And it was actually at my leaving party. And they've also worked with Fantastic on several films as well. Um, And I was I had a leaving due because I was going off to film in Malaysia for what I thought was six months. It ended up being 10. And um, Alan was there. Stephen was there. And I think they just talked about the film and then Bankside approached Fantastic and they really liked what it was they're like Alan and I think it's really important to know that a lot of these things are to do with connections and rapport as well as the actual product itself because I think that when you start to meet people and get to know their sensibility it kind of really it's a, it's a shorthand it doesn't it doesn't mean somebody will take things it just means that there's a shorthand um, but yeah I think that's where where they were introduced <laughs> But they've worked with Fantastic and quite a few films over the years. Okay, and generally, when you fund a film in the UK, is there a kind of certain path that you've learnt to follow, like a certain strategy, how you approach it? Absolutely, and I mean, that's a really good question. There are are many ways to... I'm not going to say skin a cat, because I've got... (laughs) (laughs) Shh! Um, there are many ways to to um to do it um you know I've worked I've worked on films where it's been private equity with tax credit um but generally how I start is I do an application to the BFI and then film for and BBC films depending on what the project is and and like um you know you you um I, I just find it's it's for me, that's the kind of best way to kind of approach how you, um, you you start with those and then you kind of keep going till you exhaust all the other avenues, but you start with, with, with those funding schemes. And I have um, producing partners in Ireland, so we'll apply for Screen Ireland funding as well. So being Irish, I'm able to kind of tap into both. Um, I don't have an Irish company at the moment because I work with underground films on certain projects but yes we're looking at all the funding deadlines we're looking at you know where all the the kind of uh, the funders are and and I start from there and and actually the feedback on those things is really good because it gives you a good idea of how to gauge it I also go out to sales agents um and you know and see what their thoughts are and I get industry professionals to kind of have a read of the script and tell me where they feel it lies in terms of kind of sales estimates and that's just a very informal thing as well so I know what to budget it for I know what kind of scale of cast I need to bring on board but it, it's it's like a chicken and egg it, it, it's like you just keep plugging away at everything until something sticks um, and no film is the same so you need to know that there's an audience and a, a festival strategy like and, and that starts with the genre so for me, every single film, I will talk to sales agents about in an informal way, get their gauge on the on the project, what it is, what kind of returns sales estimates they are talking about. So I know what kind of budget range to budget it at and whether it has a marketability and getting their feedback upon it and then improving the script if that's what needs to be done. But I think you need to know 
who you're making the film for. So, you know, Woken is a grounded sci-fi horror. Um, that's got a very specific audience, um, but it also does very well in the festival circuit, but it also does, you know, certain kinds of releases. So, you know, we know what that film is and we know how the film is gonna get out there and, and what kind of audiences it's gonna attract. And the sales agents know that too. So they know who their distributors are that they're gonna to go to. But I also have great trust in Bankside as well because I've known them for years and I know their track record. It's all about research. You have to do your homework. As filmmakers, you need to look at who you're getting into bed with, number one. You know, you need to look at who you're giving your IP away to. You need to get a really good lawyer to go through those deals, who've done those deals, and not try and penny pinch at this point and see where it is. Talk to other filmmakers about their experiences with that sales company. So all of these things kind of make up how I approach a film and, you know, and, and how I'm going to deal with it. It's, it's one thing to make your first film, but it's another thing to make a series of films over the years. And I do go between film and TV because one gives me a very, uh, a great, great living that is less stressful. I have been living off, you know, in my early days, you know, 15, 20 grand a year. That was doable back when I was starting. It's not doable now. Um, you know, there's a cat to be fed. <laughs> but, you know, there are all these things to take into consideration. And, you know, we have to be more and more savvy. I think that's great. But I think you also have to look at it. You know, sometimes the film that we set out to make is not the film that we end up making, you know, for so many reasons. The performances don't quite hit it or you didn't get the cast that you thought you wanted. So you got the cast that you could get who quite, couldn't quite get to that, you know, point. And, you know, maybe the editor wasn't as, as great as, as, you know, or maybe the cinematographer let you down or maybe it rained the entire time. There's so many things that can go wrong. That yeah. To a film not being as great and reaching its full potential. And so many of those things. So yes, people get caught up in the creative, but I'm I'm already looking at that audience, that that those bums in the seats from the minute that I get a script in my hand. What is this? Is it it does it is it following the genre? You know, who what's the market of this? What's the festival? And you need festivals to get the reviews, to get that buzz around the film that, you know, that I was talking about the silent screen, you know, um, or the silent cheers rather. Um you know, you do need less so on platforms because platforms are their own marketing. They have their own audiences, but certainly with with um, the smaller indie films. And, you know, you see After Sun and how brilliantly that's done. You know, it, it really excites and, and A Quiet Girl, you know, these are fantastic films. Mm. You know? and the so that's having distribution in mind, you yeah. know, right from the start. Yeah, I, I did some, you know, Mia Bays used to do um, courses on, you know, distribution and sales and marketing for films. And I and many other producers have attended them, you know, and watched them. And, and you know, it's knowing that the market constantly changes. Mm. And it's, it's relationships with sales agents um, and, you know, and different sales agents, you know, again, doing your research, you know, knowing what it is that Altitude do, knowing what it is that Bankside do, knowing what it is that, that um, you know, in, independent do, knowing, knowing what it is 
that companies like Trinity do, you know, looking at who are these, who are these sales and distribution companies and how do they work, you know, A24. And, and you do have to do your homework, you know. It's the cost of business, your time. But it does pay off. Yeah. Research always does pay off. Research always does pay off. <laughs> Is the um, P&A budget already decided in with the contract? Personally, I, I would say don't defer your fees up front. Take what it is. Very few people make money from the back end of a film. Yeah. I am one of the few because, you know, we sold Irreplaceable You to Netflix. So we made money on that. Um, but, you know, I, I haven't seen much money and nor have many other people on the films that we've made to date. So you make sure that you don't defer your fees up front. You give yourself, you know, a healthy producer fee and a healthy and a reasonable um, overhead, company overhead fee. And then you, you let your film go out there and what happens, happens. You know, there is no science or rhyme or reason or kind of formula for, you know, what happens at the other end. Mm. And I want to talk about Irreplaceable You. And um, so you shot that in the States, didn't you, in New York City? Yes. What kind of visa did you go over there? What kind of working visa did you get to go over there with? Um, I've always had, being being Irish and being Libyan, I've always needed to have a B1, B2 visa so I can go for business and for pleasure. Yeah. Um, with regards, so I had the O1. Uh, so as soon as we were fully financed, um, I uh, I was granted an O1 visa. So the Extraordinary Talent visa. Okay. Is there Was there a limit to how long you could stay on that? Uh, I the two-year visa I think it's valid for two years to that project so it's project by project how long was the shoot uh the shoot was about five weeks okay wow okay that was quick very quick shoot yeah well we well we, we'd cast availability issues so there was hard acts on that yeah um were you involved in getting the funding together for that yes but yes you were and so how did I'm literally from start to finish wow okay so the budget for that was 10 million is that right uh, I'm not saying <laughs> okay that's fine um can you tell me where you got the the budget where the funding came from so we went with the sales agency. So that was the, with the first thing I did with that because we had cast attached at that point was I went out to um to about three different sales agents um, and finance companies um, in the US. And it was very different for me. I had not worked in the US before. I don't know, I, I did actually, no, I worked on a, um, a kind of Atlas 4D, which is like a like Planet Earth type uh, show in Hawaii. So that was pretty much it. And then um, we, so I went out to everybody. I remember I, it was just before the Galway Film Flat. And literally offers came in on the table within about a week of sending out those emails. And, and I just couldn't believe it, um, which is incredible for the director and the writer and myself. Um, and then we found private equity partners because that's how it works out there and yeah. uh, which were introduced to us via the sales agency. And then um, they came on board and, and then Netflix bought the film. I think it was about a week before we shot. 
based on the casting that we had. And yeah, I mean, at that time we didn't really know what a Netflix deal was, um, but it was incredible. It was absolutely incredible. Yeah. And uh, it just was like a domino effect. It just, you know, it felt like, it felt very long, but it was only six months between sending it out and having it financed and shooting. So. And if Netflix hadn't come along, what would you have been looking to do with the film? Oh, we would have probably done the, the festival route uh, or route as the Americans would have said, and then like hope for territory sales, which, which the exchange would have looked after. Okay. Um, but as it was, 16 million people at least watched it. It was one of the most watched uh, movies in Latin America, not speaking countries, um, did pretty well in, in the world and stuff. And it was, people were going that it was the saddest movie on Netflix and were like filming themselves crying watching it, <laughs> yeah. which is really, really um, different. <laughs> yeah. You know, to what, because I mean, we didn't know when we, you know, platforms were quite new at that point. Um, and so the reactions to platforms were quite new. <clears throat> so that was a kind of really interesting thing to go through. And, and also it was like this, this silent scream, you know, of, of like all these people talking about it online, but not having any of the kind of, like we had a great premiere in, um, in New York with cast and crew screening. But, but there wasn't that same kind of buildup that you get from seeing something in the cinema, taking your friends to see it in the cinema, you know, um, going to festivals, interacting with audiences that way that I, I was used to it. But this was like, it was like, it was everywhere. There were billboards of it. And I, and I, I just remember like driving uh, through New York and seeing a billboard of it and driving in LA, you know, a few days later and seeing, and I remember just crying going oh my god wow that's our film and you know I'd never experienced anything like that before you that's know that's fantastic yeah a poster at a film festival had been it yeah <laughs> and what's next you're working in television now aren't you I, I know I cross over between film and tv yeah you must be very busy you work on them simultaneously uh, That's yeah. a good question. How do you manage your time? Because I'm constantly swapping between, I don't think I've found, I guess there isn't really a fine balance because projects are constantly changing, aren't they? If I'm in production on a TV show, um, mm. it's, it, I mean, that's all consuming. So I tend to bring in somebody um, as a development exec to kind of keep things moving, um, you know, forward. Uh, I've always managed to juggle. I think it comes from a discipline of being, when being a drama school and training there, you, you'd be in three or four different things at, at, at any given time and, and you had to know your lines for all of them and you had to be present for all of them. And I think it's just, it's the pain of discipline to, to, some, to some extent. I, I used to kind of party as hard as I worked, but you know, in my older years, I've, I've got better at kind of having that balance. And again, I think the pandemic, the pandemic really helped kind of in ways to slow down although I did get COVID in March 2020 so that was pretty unpleasant yeah like long-term effects on my health um but yeah you do you find a way you find a way to to do things I mean now I I would say that I'm probably juggling less it's, it's easier now when I'm not in I'm not on a film job to kind of develop 
projects, but they take so long to get through. I mean, you do an application, it's eight to 10 weeks before you hear back. Yeah. Um, draft of a script or a redraft, it's like six to eight weeks before the writer gets back to you with a new draft. And then if they're delayed, that's a knock-on effect. But what I have done is I've streamed back a lot of my projects because I think the market has changed in the last few years. And I think I can safely say that I'm concentrating more on my personal life. Having said that, on Monday, my producing partner and I literally worked from dawn until dusk, you know, on, on a funding project. And somebody said to me, have you actually left the house today? And I went, <laughs> and I, went oh, I, had, I had a pot of coffee and uh, two apples. <laughs> it's like, I'll just treat it as a fasting day. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, so you do those, you do those kind of things. But, you know, I think there's bringing in a healthy work-life balance, you know, the, the, you know, the, the semi-continuous working day. So you're working more intensely. You know, I, I also bring in the Pomodoro uh, technique where you work intensely for you sprint work. So you, I'll do 30, 45 minutes of deep focus, and then I'll do 15 minutes of um, kind of rest. And that will be pottering out, playing with the cat, making a cup of tea, having a call, you know, maybe chatting to my mom and, um, yeah, you know, it's uh, getting away from the screen and then I'll start again. And that's become a really good way for me to to do stuff like I used to even on you know some of the films I worked on I wrote those two books during productions so I say wrote I mean I interviewed a whole load of people when we were before we were in production and then I kind of worked and finessing them in the layout so um which but I am proud that I've got those books down in writing because for me what was really important was that that having the access to information and how to do stuff is a real big kind of, uh, it's really important to me to help the next generation because there were people that really helped me and people that didn't. And so I put down everything I knew into those books um, and then interviewed other people and asked them to, to share their knowledge of stuff. And, and I think that's really important that those practical, you know, um, street, street wisdom that we need that's not always available to us yeah people exactly and that's what you're here doing today sharing your knowledge with us so I'm a madness <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much okay. um and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day thank you very much bye-bye